You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 121 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. If you have clients on the age pension or with a realistic chance of qualifying, then there are a lot of roadblocks and potholes to navigate around. One wrong move could wipe out any entitlements to the age pension forever. So it is important to understand the rules around the age pension. John Saunders of the Pitwater Partnership, who you met before in episode 102 and 103, kindly offered to tell you more. Here's John. For many accountants, I think the Centrelink or Social Security provisions are um, confusing because the assessment of assets and income is quite different from often the tax assessment. We'll talk about the limits or thresholds for age pension in a minute, but firstly, I would like to go through what Centrelink regard, and when I say Centrelink, it's also the Department of Veteran Affairs, and I'm specifically talking about pensions, but it also applies to some other allowances that are income and asset tested. Firstly, Centrelink assess income quite differently from tax assessment. Financial assets, that's things like debentures, cash, term deposits, managed funds, debentures, other financial instruments like that, shares, are deemed to earn income. So even if it doesn't have income, then it's deemed to have income? Yes, So Centrelink aren't concerned whether a financial asset produces no income or no interest like some cheque accounts or it's in a debenture earning 8%. They deem these assets and for a single person, the first $51,200 is deemed at 1.75% and anything above that is deemed at 3.25%. So it's important that clients are getting more income than what the deeming rate is. Holding funds in cash and term deposits makes that very difficult. For a couple, the threshold is $85,000. So the first $85,000 of financial assets are deemed at 1.75% and the balance over that in excess of that is at 3.25%. Now, there are other classes of income and... I find that interesting because it basically means you are, no matter how cleverly you invest or not, Centrelink just assumes a standard return on investment. Yes, that's correct. Where the tax assessment is close to the Centrelink or Social Security assessment are things like properties. So... The net rent is generally what's assessed and in calculating the net rent, Social Security don't take into account depreciation, but they do take into account rates, insurance, and normal costs of managing a property. Do they take interest into account? No, they don't take interest into account. There are other classes of income where, uh, for instance, a trust 
The Centrelink, from an income perspective, will look at the actual income distributed to the client. But more importantly, from an asset position, Centrelink will look at where the money came from originally, who controls it, and who are the beneficiaries. If the parents are the directors of the corporate trustee and they contributed the money originally, but all the distributions go to the children, does Centrelink still count the trust in the parents' income and asset tax? Yes, the asset would be attributed to the parents. Because they are the directors of the corporate trustee or because they contributed the funds originally? Both because they control and contributed to the trust. There is a, a strategy to reduce assessable income and that's where an insurance bond or investment bond they're known as are held in a trust. In this case, if the investment bond is the only asset in the trust, the investment bond pays tax internally at 30% and doesn't distribute income to the trust. In that situation, Centrelink would attribute the asset to the owner of the trust, but there would be no income assessed. And for some purposes, this can be useful in reducing the income assessed to the owner of the trust. What was that again? You have an investment bond in a... In, in, a a trust, trust, in, a trust. in a trust structure. But it is in a corporate trustee structure and it actually gets attributed to the corporate trustee and not to the trust? Or how does it work? No, with an investment bond, it's somewhat like your superannuation in accumulation phase. You don't have to declare the income at the end of the financial year because the rules of superannuation are that the income isn't distributed and it's taxed internally at 15%. Investment bonds were around a long time before superannuation and were in the past a savings vehicle. And the rules now surrounding investment bonds, there are some rules about how you contribute to them and how they're taxed when you withdraw money out of them. But because it's taxed at 30% internally, the investment bond and the trust don't have to distribute income. They can hold it, you know, can be accumulated in the bond. Okay, so it's accumulated in the bond, yes. not in the trust. So if there are actual distributions, they would be assessed. If the bond actually distributes income, then it would have to go down to the beneficiaries yes. or, or otherwise the trustee is taxed at the top marginal rate. But if it just accumulates in the bond, then it stays in the bond. That's correct. We talked about deeming of what Centrelink described as financial assets, shares, term deposits, cash, etc. And we talked about the assessment of income from trusts. Now I'd like to talk about other forms of income. A common one might be a UK pension, and that's assessed dollar for dollar by Centrelink. Most defined benefit superannuation pensions are assessed dollar for dollar, but there may be a deductible calculation made for Centrelink purposes, which may reduce the income actually assessed. There are other devices like annuities, tax structures like annuities, which if they're greater than five years in duration, there's that relevant number or life expectancy divided into the capital to determine the amount that's deductible both for tax and social security purposes. Annuities of less than five years 
or the life expectancy are, are deemed to earn income. So that 1.75% and 3.25% deeming rates. We'd now like to go back and just talk about some of the thresholds now for income and assets for age pensions. For a homeowner, for a single person, they can have up to $258,500 under the asset test and from the asset test perspective, receive the full age pension. So you can own 258000 and a few more dollars yeah. and still get the full pension. Under the asset test. Now remember, if that was a holiday home and wasn't producing income, then you'd get the full pension. But if it's financial assets like banks, bank deposits, shares, managed funds, then these would be deemed to earn income. And if the under the income test, if the financial assets are greater than about $160,000, then the income test bites. The because income, we have deemed income. Because we have deemed income and there's a crossover point and it takes a while before the asset test becomes more important. So an important feature here is there's both an income test and an asset test, which is applied separately and whichever produces the least age pension outcome, that's the one that's applied. We just mentioned before that a holiday home doesn't have deemed income. So financial assets have a deemed income that's of correct. 1.75% or 3.25%. Correct. But a holiday home doesn't have deemed income. That's correct. Unless it's rented, of course. Yes. But then it's just the actual rent they yes, receive. Yes, the net rent. Yes. And what other assets don't... So if you just go through all the assets that don't attract deemed income, it's a UK pension. Well, a UK pension it's is actually assessed on, on what you actually received. Exactly. But um, other investments that don't um, aren't deemed or um, are things like the family home, principal residence, a funeral bond is not assessed as an asset and each you can put in up to $13,000. It's guaranteed product produces a very low income because basically it's invested in cash and the tax rate's 30%. However, if you're asset tested and you put $13,000 into the funeral bond, it disappears and as an asset for deeming or for assessment, you actually get a 7.8% benefit in increase of uh, in in the increased eligibility of age pension. So in certain circumstances, they can produce a very good result. Equally, you can gift $10,000 in a financial year as a couple or as a single person, a maximum of $10,000 in any financial year and up to $30,000 over a five-year period. Any gifts in excess of that are called deprived assets and are deemed to be earning income and also assessed as an asset for the next five years. So Centrelink basically assumed that you never made the gift, that the money is still sitting in your bank account and is earning deemed Yes, this income. is if it's in excess of those levels. So it can be important to go and update Centrelink so an individual or a couple can gift a total of $10,000 in a financial year. So they could gift $10,000 now and another $10,000 on the 1st of July 
next year and that would be allowed and depending on their asset and income position may actually improve their pension and probably give you extra, if you're asset tested, give you a better return than you would get with the money in a managed fund or certainly in the bank. However, you've lost access to those monies. Coming back to the asset thresholds, which are 258,000 for a single and 357,000 for a couple, what is not included in this threshold? The main residence, a holiday home? A holiday home. And a funeral bond? No, a holiday home is assessed. Oh, I see. A holiday home is assessed? Assessed, but not... Deemed interest. Uh, yeah, it doesn't... Well, it's not a, a deemed asset. They look at whether it actually produces rent. Yes. So if it wasn't rent... So if the holiday home is worth more than 258000 and most holiday homes are worth more than 258000 then we would bust the asset test. Yes, we would start reducing the pension for every $1,000 over $258,500 for a single person, then the pension would reduce by $78 per annum. Now, the pension for a single person, for a homeowner, cuts out at $564,000. So um, you would lose a pension if your assets exceeded $564,000. I see, but in that $564,000 is not the main residence. So I could be living in a $5 million mansion and I have a holiday home that's worth less than $565 and then I would still qualify for some part of the age pension. Yes, that's correct. And I think the Henry report actually it was one of their recommendations. Why should we pay a pension to someone living in a $5 million harborside home. However, I think it's electoral suicide for the government to change that. So the home is always exempt, a refundable accommodation deposit or a refundable accommodation contribution is exempt because that's considered the new home. And when someone leaves the home to go into aged care, for instance, the home remains exempt for up to two years under Social Security. So I'll just run through these thresholds. I don't expect you to remember, just give you a feel and they'll be available on the website. So for a homeowner, single person, 258,000 is where the asset test starts to bite, but it could be the income test that's dominating the age pension at that point. The cutoff is $564,000 worth of assets. For a couple, the lower threshold is $387,500 and the cutoff is $848,000. I won't go through the non-homeowner thresholds. They're approximately $200,000 higher than the homeowner threshold. So, for instance, for a couple, the assessable assets is $1.055 million before the pension cuts out. Under the income test... The income test starts biting at $4,472 of a Centrelink assessable income and the pension cuts out at $52,119. That lower threshold, $4,472 per annum, corresponds to an asset, financial assets if they were being deemed of about $161,000. So sometimes your clients are very concerned about losing pension and their assessment of what's how much is a lot of wealth and how much isn't. So some pensioners who might have assets less than $161,000 
have really got no concern about losing any of their pension. For a couple, it's combined $7,904 of assessable income and cuts out at $79,000. So that corresponds to financial assets of $282,430 being deemed. But so it basically means that while you're living in your home, downsizing can be quite dangerous while you are on an age pension. Let's say you live in a house that's worth three million, you sell that house and buy an apartment worth one million, so you get receive two million dollar cash that would immediately destroy your eligibility for the age pension. Yes, that's true, and some people are overly concerned about that and have to be reminded if you've got $2 million in the bank, then you're very comfortable and the age pension and the assessment can be annoying and is probably not important. The other aspect of the age being qualified for the age pension is that there are other benefits, if you like, of being on the age pension, like lower rates and other concessions that pensioners receive, some people put that value at about $3,000 a year. year. So if you've got $2 million in the bank, I think you have to remind your client that that's a very comfortable position to be in. And sometimes pensioners can be very vulnerable to investing or doing giving away money or not very wise decisions because they're so frightened of losing the pension. The other thing I haven't mentioned, how much is the full age pension? It's $916.30 per fortnight, which is about $23,800 a year for a single person. For a couple combined, it's just under $36,000 or $690 each. Just keep in mind, if one partner is in hospital for an extended period of time or moves into care, they can, the couple are what's called illness separated. And in that situation, their assets are still treated as combined, but instead of being assessed against the combined rate of pension, 690 per fortnight, they're assessed each against the $916.30 per fortnight single rate. So that can help ameliorate the costs involved in living separately. Yes, so they actually receive more when one of them is in hospital or in aged care. Yes, and that reflects the fact that they've got two sets of living expenses. And one of the challenges for a couple when one moves into care is that the partner remaining in the home still has very similar living expenses as the couple did. And in addition to that, we've got to meet the costs of residential aged care. So there are other considerations. Some couples in this situation can be assessed separately for their assets and income. This status at Centrelink is called living separately and apart. And there are obviously some restrictions on how you achieve that assessment. But it does mean that both partners are treated as single people and the assets held in their name are assessed against them for Centrelink and also for aged care fees. And this sometimes um, provides an opportunity to get a better overall outcome for the couple.
The next thing I'd like to discuss is often clients, one or both, may still be working after age pension age. As you can see, there's generous asset limits for still being eligible for the age pension. And remember, age pension age is different now. For people receiving age pension, the age is gradually creeping up to 67 years, depending on when you were born. Setting that aside, Centrelink allow an extra $250 per fortnight for a pensioner to receive in employment income. This is in addition to the first income threshold. Say for a single person, I said the income threshold before the income test impacts is $4,472 per annum. In addition to that limit, a pensioner can earn an additional $250 a fortnight this financial year. And if they don't earn that each fortnight, then they can accrue that work bonus up to a value of $6,500. So often income can be, for instance, supervising exams where you earn income over a shorter period of time. lollipop man. Or a lollipop person. Yes. (laughs) So for a single person, if you were using the low threshold plus the work bonus of 250 per fortnight, and the government's obviously done that to encourage people to work after their age, pension age, that allows them to earn another just under $11,000 a year without affecting their pension under the income test. Remember, there may be an asset test that's operating too. And for a couple, that's up to just under $21,000. In the 1920 financial year, that work bonus will increase, I believe, to about $300 a fortnight. So that can be encourage people to stay in the workforce. Some people are very concerned about losing pension and it's good to reassure them that there's a certain level of income quite a substantial level of income that can be earned without affecting their pension under the income test. So keep in mind if they're mainly asset tested, remember only one of the tests applies, whichever, if it's the asset test reducing their pension, then they could earn quite considerably more under the income test before the income test overcomes the asset test. So often there's not a real rational discussion about earning income after age, pension age, and there's quite good uh, options there. Income I receive from my SMSF counts towards the income test? No, it has to be employment income, self-employment. I I don't mean for the work test now, I just mean for the income test in general. Yes, so if you commence the, if you weren't receiving, Centrelink refers to an asset and income tested allowance or pension before the 1st of January 2015, then the income you receive from your self-managed super fund The asset is deemed to earn income. The actual cash flow you take out of your self-managed super fund is not assessed. Oh, I see. So the super fund also is a deemed asset that receives the 1.75% or the 3.25%. Account-based pensions prior to 1st of January 2015, if you're already on a Centrelink asset and income tested benefit, 
then it retains that deductible amount after that date. I see, but for anybody who starts an account-based pension afterwards, then the account-based pension has this deemed income. Yes, that's correct. Remember, in the asset test, you also have to take into account contents and personal effects. It's important that the contents is not the insured value of the contents. It's the value of the contents if you emptied the house onto the front footpath and tried to sell the contents on a Saturday morning. Yes, but so, then basically there wouldn't be much. No, it isn't. And uh, anyone who's tried to sell furniture or white goods and things would realise that the value of the contents of the house... Is close to nil. Is, very, ..is generally very small. Centrelink don't expect a value above $10,000... So you would never put down more than 10000 That's the default. But even 10000 is very, very optimistic. I don't think anybody, unless you have really expensive paintings in the lot, I don't think anybody would receive $10,000 for their lounge suite when they put it on the garden strip. Yes, that's right. And But remember, it does include things like collections, paintings, and those sort of Yes. collectibles that may have a value yes. and the market value of cars and generally I would look up the red book and choose the wholesale value of the vehicle that's a good estimate of what a motor vehicle is worth they also include boats caravans trailers those sort of things yes. but it's that I think the term is a ready buyer and a ready seller yes yes but I'm with okay. you boats cars and collectible paintings, yeah. they would attract the value. Yeah. But the normal household goods put onto the nature strip would be yes. close to zero. That's correct. You probably have to pay for the, for the council to collect it all. This is not uh, suddenly a quick overview of how Social Security go about assessing assets and income and the current limits, which we'll put up on the website. I should mention there are a couple of other thing, questions we commonly get asked. Can you lend money to a pensioner? Obviously, yes, but it adds to their assets. When you say Social Security, you mean age pension? Yes, I mean age pension, but also asset and income tested Department of Veteran Affairs pensions. Now, remember, some of those are not taxable. Say, for instance, the... War widow's pension is not asset or income tested and it's regarded as compensation payment as are disability pensions from Department of Veteran Affairs. Some of the questions were asked, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing um, keeping up with employment? There's many reasons why your client would continue employment after age 65 and retirement, they might be able to do part-time work. Being able to discuss that and make a rational decision is important when you understand what assets and income are assessed. What will happen in terms of estate planning can also be a very important question. Can residents or can your client borrow money against the home? There are different home equity release options and they're assessed in the first year, the money that's taken out, because that becomes an asset. So the family home doesn't count as an asset, but the moment I put a mortgage on it to... Borrow money, borrow that money. money becomes an asset until you spend it. The other thing that often... So if I then give it to the children, 
to to buy a home in their name, then that's, that's a, gift. a gift, and we are subject to the gifting limits. And so then it will become this called this deprived asset. Deprived asset, and so then I will still be hit with the deemed income from that deprived asset. As, and also the asset test on the deprived asset. Some of the traps parents often fall into is lending money to family members. Remember, a loan made to someone else is assessed as an asset and also can be deemed to produce income. This can be very problematic where, for instance, the number one son started borrowed money from mum and dad, started a business, had a catastrophic car accident, can't repay the loan. Centrelink are very difficult to deal with in terms of getting that loan assessed as a non-performing loan and get rid of it from the parent's asset list. That's only the Centrelink issue with lending money to family members. Uh, there are other considerations too. Does Centrelink have access to bank records, etc., like the ATO does? Yes, they appear to have some access to bank records, especially where they pay the pension. The degree to which they're successful in data matching now with the tax office and other departments is and other organisations is somewhat dicey at the moment, but they're improving their abilities to share information between organisations. So you have to be careful to make sure you declare assets like shares, residential rental properties. Shares and property would be easy to trace, but loans to children, etc., I can imagine would be quite difficult for Centrelink to trace. No, and... Um, of course, the onus is on the recipient to update Centrelink within 14 days of any major changes to their assets and income or status in terms of marital status. We're not making you social security experts, even those of us who have been working in the area for 20 years, are continually faced with situations where we have to go back to the Act or seek more technical advice on how a client will be assessed under Social Security. So it's, I think, very worthwhile to keep your ears open to understand where there may be concerns and where a client needs to seek additional information. Welcome back. In the next episode, Gordon McKenzie of UNSW will talk about Labour's proposed tax changes. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <laughs>